You know, 10 months ago, we made a decision to redefine our direction. We knew there would be ups and downs this season. We knew that we would encounter some things that were going to be difficult, and we did. Uh, with that said, I think we're in a, a better place today than we were at this time last year. And I think we have an opportunity to grow as an organization starting today. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Levine, he goes right. Oh! Stop it, Samson! Did you not get the memo? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Enos Cantor, what are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. We're going to preach patience. It doesn't mean we're not going to be looking for ways to get better, but a lot of it's going to come internally. We need Zach Levine to be a better basketball player. Chris Dunn to come back a better player. Lowry Markkinen, Bobby Portis, you go down the line. They have to put in the time and confident that they will. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Like I said at the beginning, I feel better today about our, our direction and our position than I did a year ago. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern at 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, host of Bulls Outsiders on NBC Sports Chicago and host of the 312 Show on AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked on Bulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. Hit us up there. Tons of reaction, tons of voicemails, tons of text messages from Bulls fans already this season. Continue to use that line. We'd love to hear from you. 331-979-1369. Matt, welcome back. I I, I got to say, I'm not mad. I'm not mad about the way last night went down. I thought the Bulls responded exactly the way I thought they were going to initially come out with a little bit of fights, a little bit of anger, and they just let it slip through their fingers in the fourth quarter and overtime. But I, I can sit here and say that I am completely fond of the way that they lost that game last night. But first and foremost, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jordan. What's up, Bulls Nation? Um, I, yeah, I honestly couldn't have been happier uh, with how last night went down. The Bulls were as shorthanded as they are, coming off an embarrassing performance on Monday. Clearly a team that was coming out there with a renewed sense of purpose and energy and a team that wanted to make up for being embarrassed on their home floor a couple of days earlier. Their defensive effort and intensity were there. Um, you know, They benefited from the Nuggets having a rough shooting night. Uh, Denver was just 7 of 26 from downtown, 26.9%. Um, Jokic had you know uh, uh, one of his less efficient nights shooting, only 9 of 20. Uh, for a pedestrian 22 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists. One assist shy of a triple-double. But hey, Wendell, another big task for him. He's faced a lot of the best big men in the league already this season. And Wendell had probably his coming out game last night. Uh, you, you heard Levine talk about the team's inability to close and needing to figure out a way to, to win a, a close game like that. 
Um, I put most of the blame on Hoiberg and campaign and Hoiberg putting campaign back into that game late when Archie Diakono was playing so well. To me, that was bigger and more important than Holiday not boxing uh, boxing out Millsap on that final putback for the win. But um, it was it was a it was a perfect tank loss or a tank win, however you want to phrase it. In my opinion, they played evenly with one of the better teams in the league, and they did it in a night when Wendell Carter Jr. looks the best he's looked. So I, I left that game very very happy. Yeah, I want to get into all of that in a little bit more. You mentioned Wendell Carter Jr., Zach Levine's night as well. Uh, I have to I have to make mention, though. I was literally sitting there pulling my hair out because Jokic looked awful in the first half. And by the way, I bet the over on the points for Jokic, bet the over on the points for Jamal Murray, and I bet the over on points for Gary Harris for the Nuggets last night. I figured with the Bulls, I could maybe hedge myself a little bit and win some money. Jokic, it took all the way to overtime for him to go over 21 and a half points. Gary Harris, 14 points in the first half, and then he ended up with two for the rest of the entire game, which pissed me off because his over was 19 and a half points, and I for sure thought he was going to get it. Um, But I didn't leave the Bulls out on this one either. So going over to mybookie.ag, Justin Holiday was at 11 and a half points and every people are probably like wow you bet on the over on Justin Holiday's points I did and I hit 15 points for Justin Holiday last night five for nine from the three-point line I was getting a little nervous at the end there I was hoping he was going to go over and he hit it before hey, and one of them was a huge three on a nice pass from Zach Levine that tied that game late yep, definitely so I was like all right, Justin Holiday hasn't had a great game in the last couple of days, and he always is good for a heater once every, like, 10 days, especially from the three-point line. Thank God it was last night. So I made a little bit of cash on on the top, on top of the Bulls' loss last night. So not all bad things, but before we get deeper into the game last night, I want to spend this opening segment talking about the newest announcement for the Bulls. And that's what they're going to look like going forward as far as their jerseys. So this has been something I've been thinking about for a while. I was like, wow, the Bulls haven't wore their city jerseys from last year. Are they changing them up? They haven't really made an announcement. And that announcement came today. What are your thoughts initially of the Bulls' second stage of city jerseys? You like them? Do you compare them to last year? Do you like last year's more than this year's? Or are they both just as good? Uh, I'm already getting heat on Twitter uh, this morning for my take that... I don't love them. Everybody, as soon as this tweet that the Bulls had from their official Twitter account with Markinen, uh rocking the jersey, everybody on Bulls Twitter exploded like, oh my God, these are amazing. Oh my God, I love these so much. Oh my God, I'm going to buy this. These are great. And I was like, no, you know what? I don't love them. They're, I, like, I don't hate them. I, I might not even go as strong as to say I don't dislike them. I, I, I'm somewhere between indifferent and disliking them. And I'll tell you why. A, it's hard to follow up on the, in my opinion, perfect City Edition jerseys from last season. Those are some of the awesomest jerseys for any Chicago sports team I have ever seen. They were flawlessly executed, and they looked so good. So it's hard to follow that act. Because it's hard to follow that act, I feel like these fell a little bit short. And I don't love a black jersey with the Chicago flag as its primary logo. The Chicago flag is not black, red, and blue. It is white, red, and blue. To me, it looks off, and here's my biggest problem with them. They do not look like a Bulls jersey of any kind. 
I know that it's the quote-unquote city edition jersey, and the emphasis is on the city as opposed to the team, but you can't make some reference to a Bulls jersey of past or present or some reference to the Bulls logo or organization in any way. I saw somebody on Twitter said it basically just looks like a jersey that a bunch of like Chicago PD people would make oh, for geez. their rec league. It looks like a bunch of Chicago cops wearing like made themselves a basketball jersey for their rec league. And I agree. Like nothing about those jerseys to me says Chicago Bulls. It says Chicago, but it doesn't say Chicago Bulls. And that's why I don't love them. I think they could have picked a different jersey color that might have made it made them a little bit better. Like, I'm glad that they've mixed it up a little bit. This is what I will give the credit to the Bulls for, is the fact that they're non-traditional, the way that we always assume Bulls jerseys are going to be, right? They didn't change anything about the white ones. They didn't change anything about their reds. They didn't even change anything about their alternatives and their blacks. That's fine. Last year, even too, they 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 mixed it up a little bit, but it, for the most part, was still pretty traditional. Some elements from old jerseys. I'm cool with the Bulls taking another step here and trying to go a little bit more modern, and I'm totally fine with that. I don't love the black jersey, but I think overall the attempt at a new age jersey for the Bulls is a step in the right, step in the right direction. I think there could have been a little bit more of an element, maybe like a baby blue jersey to this or something. But uh, I think it's I think the thing that catches my eye the most about this jersey is is it's black. And then the numbers are white, a white trim with red in the inside. And that kind of throws me off with the blue uh, around the arms and around the neck and also the blue stripes in the front. But I applaud the Bulls, the Bulls for trying to go, be a little bit more innovative with this jersey rather than last. I like both of them. I think they're both cool and they're both unique in their own ways. I thought they could have done a little bit more with this year's jersey too. It's a little bit plain if you look at it, but uh, a step in the right direction for the Bulls as far as innovative jerseys. And man, I think everybody can say with confidence that it's better than the sleeve jerseys, right? Well, yes, but that's Those not... Those gray-sleeved ones were that's ugly. Not, that's they not were a atrocious. Hard, not a hard task, but I think you're onto something <laughs> when you... Like like the black with the baby, like this baby blue, sky blue, Chicago, you know, Chicago flag blue, just to me clashes... And like Same. you know, the two horizontal bars from the Chicago flag with the black background to me just look like what is this like a traffic sign of some kind? It's just like blah, like boom. Here's like two very bold horizontal stripes across a jersey, and to me they just look like blue horizontal stripes. They don't look like the Chicago flag because again, the Chicago flag is not black; it's a white background. So like. To, and, you know, before, I, it, this has nothing to do with white versus black before anybody starts some random conspiracy theory about like, oh, you, you like white and you don't like black. No, cl- clearly this is not what I'm talking about. To me, it just looks like a weird version of a Chicago flag on a black backdrop, which is just not as pleasing to the eye as what you are accustomed to with the Chicago flag. It doesn't look like a Chicago flag. It looks like a black jersey with two blue horizontal stripes across it. Um the you know last year's city edition you mentioned it you know it had like the throwback because it was the the Chicago cursive of the old Bulls jerseys um, of of past decades and I loved that and the 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 Chicago stars of the Chicago flag down the sides loved that too uh, but to me like I I just like it just looks like they something they just like slapped together. And it was like, all right, well, uh, all right, we need a new idea for a city edition jersey. Let's just do 
you know the the blue the blue stripes and and the red stars and the Chicago flag on a black jersey. So here here's a question for you, Jordan. This is an idea I had. What about if they were to have taken the old black with red pinstripes look that people are you know begging the Bulls to bring back, and maybe do a city edition jersey with instead of red pinstripes, doing the Chicago flag blue, the baby blue instead of red. Would you be interested to see what those look like? Because I think maybe that would be a cool look. That's not a bad idea. I've got a conspiracy theory, though. Here's one for you. So you know how you noticed how all the NBA teams have kind of gone back for an anniversary, have thrown it back. I think Orlando has done it. Phoenix, I think, is doing it this year. There's a handful of teams out there that have brought back their old jerseys. The Timberwolves just... T-Wolves were doing it last night. I love those old T-Wolves Here's my conspiracy theory. You think the Bulls are holding out to the 25th anniversary of that last championship in order to unveil maybe the jerseys that everybody has fallen in love with as far as like a marketing idea that they could do, that they could land with? Like a 25th anniversary, I think, is a staple, is like a milestone. And I think you look around the league and the reason why Orlando did it, they were celebrating 20 years. Um, and a few other teams, same thing with that. So maybe the Bulls are holding out on that idea until they come up to the 25th anniversary of that last championship in the 90s. Just an idea, just a conspiracy theory, thinking marketing-wise. It's, it's possible. It's it's possible. And we all know how much this uh, organization loves to sell their merch. Um, and to me... Knowing just kind of the vibe you get from talking to Bulls fans and Bulls fans reacting to new jersey looks or you know bringing back old jersey looks from other teams as you, as you just mentioned, I I can't imagine that they would not be flying off the oh, shelf hundred percent if they if they brought back those old pinstripe jerseys, like you could still go and buy ones that you know on eBay or Amazon or wherever that are actually true to that era. But if they were to re-release those and make them with Markkinen's name on the back, with Levine's name on the back, with Wendell's name on the back, they would sell like hotcakes. And I, I don't know why this team isn't doing it. Yeah, you can still get those jerseys. I think Mitchell and Ness still does those jerseys in some capacity with Rodman and Pippen and Jordan. But I think that's about the extent to, the, to what they sell for the pinstripes. I, I don't think your idea as far as the city edition goes, it, as far as them trying to incorporate that baby blue into their color scheme now, this is two years in a row that they've tried to do that. I don't I would like to see what a play around idea of them do it going to like a baby blue or a white with a blue pinstripe or even a white with a red pinstripe. Um, I think anything with a pinstripe in the NBA, you know, it seems like it's coming back even more so now. But anything that it just draws the eyes, and you know, I think about the old Pacers uniforms with their pinstripes. I love those jerseys. Same thing in Orlando. Love the white pinstripe on that on that like royal blue that they wear. Oh, so good, so, so good. Any of those to me, I'm down with. So I like the city jerseys. I think they're both unique in their own way, and it's a step in the right direction for the Bulls as far as being a little bit more innovative and not going so traditional. I mean. Sure. Try something new, I guess. I just think, and again, mostly to me, but you know, people think I sound like an old cranky person who just doesn't like anything new. (laughs) I just think to me, the biggest reason that I first looked at these and my gut said, nah, no, is because they fall short of last seasons. Because in my opinion, City Edition or any jersey of any kind, those first year City Edition jerseys with white the Chicago cursive style font 
and the trim and the stars down the side, those are some of the fiercest jerseys I have ever seen. They knocked it out of the park with those. So it to me, it's just about falling short when you had a really hard act to follow. To me, these jerseys are just okay. Can't argue with that. And maybe they'll look a little bit better with the shorts, too. I was trying to find a picture of the, the short combo, too. And I'm imagining they're going to be somewhat similar to what the Bulls have trotted out there with their home and their away and their alternate jerseys, too. So maybe to the eye, once they wear these, and maybe they'll wear these either on Saturday night, Friday or Saturday night, um, to unveil them. We'll get a better look and better idea of how they look collectively as a uniform. But the socks are tight, too. And you can you can see in the picture of Markkanen that the Bulls released that the like the top part of the shorts anyway, that has like, you know, similar to the jersey, but narrower, like two horizontal blue lines of trim going across the top and just the word Bulls in red print in the center. So, like, there is that, and it looks like maybe they have, like, a white Bulls logo somewhere on that short that just gets cut off in the marketing picture. But, yeah, you know, maybe the shorts make the overall outfit look a little bit uh, better and more put together. Uh, I, I believe November 11th. Uh, is their first game that they'll be rocking those. So Sweet. can't wait to see what they look like on the court. Wanted to remind our listeners before we get into everything that happened last night's game, the Bulls falling in overtime to the Nuggets, 108-107. We paired with The Athletic, partnered with them to give our listeners 40% off a 12-month subscription to The Athletic for only $2.99 per month. That's 40% off the regular price for our listeners. Simply go to theathletic.com slash Bulls. That's theathletic.com slash Bulls. Stefan Noe and Darno Mayberry have been doing an awesome job so far throughout the Bulls season. They've got great content on Twitter, even better content on theathletic.com. If you don't know what The Athletic is, it was founded here in Chicago and is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. No ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos. Subscribers have access to local coverage of all five teams in Chicago, as well as national coverage from writers like Seth Davis, Ken Rosenthal, and more. Theathletic.com slash LockedOnBulls for 40% off. Do it right now. Be back here in 60 seconds on Locked on Bulls. Stay with us. Back here on Locked on Bulls. Hit us up on Twitter at Locked on Bulls. On Instagram there as well. 331-979-1369 is our text and voicemail line. Drop us a voicemail, a text message there. All right, Matt, let's jump into last night's game. Like we had mentioned in the our opening segment, you know, n- not... Not super satisfied, but okay, I'll take what happened last night against a very, very good Denver Nuggets team. You know, we had mentioned on yesterday's episode that the Denver Nuggets, you know, collectively as a team, were probably playing the best basketball in the NBA coming into tonight's game and also missing a key component to their team in Will Barton. They were able to pull off a win against Golden State even without Will Barton, so I thought this was going to be an uphill battle. But like we had mentioned before, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. did a phenomenal job of locking down Jokic. There was multiple times, and I wanted to start with him, there was multiple times, man, where he got all the way out to the perimeter and eliminated Jokic from taking a three. While Jokic did hit a, a couple of threes in this game, three for six, I thought Wendell Carter Jr. did an awesome job of being able to stop as much as he could of what Jokic could have exposed them in their front court early on. What did you like about Wendell Carter Jr.'s game tonight? And was this a coming out party for him? Wendell for three. Oh, give me a hot sauce, rookie. 23 in the game for Carter. And he's on a 7-0 run by himself, Neil. 90. 
absolutely a coming out party um he you know he even got some respect from Jokic after the game which you don't see all that often um you know when uh, an established stud veteran uh goes and gives props to the guy who was guarding him all night uh who's a rookie I loved the fact that you know Fred at least figured out that Levine is going to have his hands full and teams are going to key in on him defensively and he immediately often and early in this game went to Wendell Carter Jr. and clearly encouraged Zach Levine to look for Wendell in that game last night because there were all sorts of looks from Wendell early they tried to get him to work in the paint they tried to play little two-man games where uh you know Zach Levine would use him as a dump off pass and little picks uh you know pick and roll situations and Wendell still clearly needs to bulk up a little bit more and just gain a little bit of confidence in his game when he's you know trying to go to work in the post because we saw him convert some nice moves the foundation is there the footwork is there he's just I think so far this season, he's looked like he has the case of the Butterfingers or the Yips or whatever it is um, when he's trying to go up strong. Sometimes he collects, and it seems like he's thinking one or two seconds too long instead of just reacting and going up strong. Um, But, you know, overall, 9 of 21, 25 points, 8 boards, 5 assists, 3 steals, 3 blocks. Like, this was a monster game from Wendell. And, you know, as you said, slowing down one of the most dominant bigs in the league right now in Nikola Jokic like the kid had a stud game coming out game for sure I was very impressed with Wendell Carter Jr. and you know I had made mention on Twitter throughout this game that I said I think Antonio Blakeney has been the second most impressive bull behind Zach Levine so far this season through eight games but I think it's splitting hairs at this point as far as Wendell Carter and Antonio Blakeney 2A, 2A, 2B, and you could flip-flop either of those guys. I was super impressed, though. Like you had mentioned, stacking the stat sheet, man. You know, eight rebounds, five assists, three steals, three blocks, and the monster block at the rim. We shared it on Twitter at Locked On Bulls of just Wendell Carter Jr. sending one right back, and I think Jamal Murray or Gary Harris's face, that was oh just God. delicious. It was amazing. The other thing that I think Wendell Carter Jr. is doing a phenomenal job with, and I think it's kind of going unnoticed, is the fact that he is getting arms, he is getting his body into passing lanes, enforcing turnovers like he did last night against the Nuggets, and allowing the Bulls to run in transition. How many times last night did you see Wendell Carter Jr. come up with either a bobble, a, a contest shot that he was able to get it in transition and the Bulls were going down for easy buckets. I can count maybe three, four, five different times last night where Zach Levine was going up or whoever it was going up for an easy layup. And right. I think that alone to me was impressive. I was going to say, including Zach, Levine's, including Zach Levine's monster breakaway jam, that was the direct result of Wendell playing stout defense. And that's going to be something that the Bulls can, uh, you know, hopefully rely upon all season long to try and actually compete with teams and at, if not win, at least keep themselves even with fast break points because we know how bad this Bulls uh, transition defense is in their own right. Wendell is going to create a lot of fast break opportunities for the Bulls with his defense. And we saw that last night. Yeah, the the transition defense of the Bulls. I don't know who put it up on Twitter, but I definitely retweeted the video. Oh my God, that montage video? (laughs) Oh yeah, the compilation of all of the terrible transition defense from the first eight games of the season. 
They that needed to uh, overlay the only the Bulls song with that, you know, just <laughs> just like those videos from a couple seasons ago when it was like Michael Carter Williams leading a four on one fast break that resulted oh, in a Bulls turnover. <laughs> only oh, the God. Bulls <laughs> can't spell only the Bulls without LOL. So <laughs> I will say this too: Zach Levine, another really nice night. You know, we'll talk about the last couple of games. I want to talk about the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and also in overtime, that final play on Justin Holiday. But first, before I get there, the offense looked great. The defense actually came out with some fights. You know, the Bulls didn't shoot great in the first half. I think they were below 40%, but they were shooting over 50% from three, and that was keeping them in the game. And then I I think in the second half, this is the first time I can really say this for the Bulls this season, is they made an adjustment. And all of a sudden, you know, they kept the same energy that they had from the first half and built off of that. The Nuggets, between, I think, the last six minutes of the third quarter and the first six minutes of the fourth quarter, looked like a disaster. They were turning the ball over left and right, and the Bulls had all of the momentum. So watching that is super encouraging from a team that... Like we had said on yesterday's episode, at the bare minimum, you shouldn't have to worry about energy or effort. That should just be a given from a a team compiled of a bunch of young guys, especially guys getting an opportunity with four starters out, three starters out and a bench player and a key rotation player. That should just be a given. And we saw that turnaround from Monday night into Wednesday night, and we saw the effort you know, the Bulls are going to need to do that constantly while Markkanen, Levine, Portis, and Dunn are all out. Or Markkanen, Dunn, Valentine, and Portis are out. You know, energy is going to keep them in a lot of these games. So I was mostly impressed with, with what they were able to do on the defensive side. On to the final two plays. What did you think about the fourth quarter? I was pretty frustrated that they had tossed up a six-point lead under two minutes in the fourth and let the Nuggets come back into this game, tie it, and send it to overtime. What were your thoughts on the last two minutes? I, I, could, I couldn't believe that Fred put campaign back in there. I, like that, that is my big takeaway from the end of that fourth quarter. Campaign did not have a good night. Only five points in 25 minutes, two of eight shooting, five turnovers. And guess what? Two of those, two, two of those five turnovers came... In that stretch, when Fred put him back in with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Bulls are up six. And the Bulls are up six because people like Archie Diacono and Wendell and Levine are executing. Campaign gets in there, dribbles a ball off his knee out of bounds turnover. Uh, can't play any defense. The Nuggets get a bucket. Next possession down, instead of hitting Zach Levine coming off a screen on the right elbow wide open, he tries to go to Justin Holiday in the left corner, and Nikola Jokic and his big freak gigantor hands get a pass on it, knock it out of bounds. But guess what? Justin Holiday tips at last. Two turnovers for campaign in the span of two possessions. And all of a sudden, it's a tie game, and the Bulls are going to overtime. What the heck was Fred Hoiberg thinking? Archie Diacono, true to form, was playing a safe, smart, competent game of basketball. Only hit one three, but only took two shots all night. Seven assists, only one turnover, and chipped in three steals on the defensive end. Archie was looking like a bench scrub superstar in that game. Why the heck did Fred take him out and sub campaign in in the critical moments? Because campaign's the one who coughed up that game. You can say Justin Holiday didn't box out on Millsap. Fine campaign is the reason the Bulls lost that game. 
yeah, I was shocked that he was back in the game too, as well as Archie Diakono was playing. And you're you're totally spot on. He was responsible for two of those turnovers. Justin Holiday too responsible for one. Regardless of campaign being in the game or not, what kind of play call was drawn up with those last two plays? The Bulls had two opportunities to take this game in the final 30 seconds of, of regulation. You went to a timeout. They went to a a review. You couldn't have drawn up a better play than what they got, which was a contested shot. And then the Nuggets came down, tied the game. The Bulls had an opportunity, I think, with about three or four seconds left. They tried to run it to Levine. And instead, they got to Parker, and Parker chucked up probably a 50-footer from three as the buzzer hit. I just don't understand how you had that much time to draw up a bunch of plays yeah, to try to get that final bucket and seal this game, and they weren't able to execute at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't love Holiday and that inbounds play they did from the baseline. Um, that's not his shot. Uh, and Jabari, like, heaving a three, fine, whatever. I, honestly, I'm glad that didn't go in, so I didn't have a million Jabari stands coming at me for one miracle three that he makes. Because guess what? Jabari had another awful game last night. Awful. Um he, he got his first... <laughs> I was waiting for he, that to go in. I was thinking about you at that he last He got play. his first start, and what did he do? He picked up two quick fouls and was on the bench at like the eight-and-a-half-minute mark. Three for 10, 0 for 4 from downtown, six points. Yeah, sure, he pulled down nine rebounds. Zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks. Like, a, a garbage game from Jabari. But to me, the one thing that I'm starting to maybe worry about a little bit, and I'm wondering if you are too, Jordan... We saw an almost identical freak show play from Levine last night, just like the one from Detroit, when he had an opportunity for a game winner before Ish Smith killed us, and the ball just slipped out of his hands. The exact same thing happened with Levine last night when he's trying to go ISO and be the hero. And in a different game earlier this season, Levine had an opportunity to rise up, knock down a shot to win the game, and he missed it. And last night, not only did we see him have an opportunity to win the game and the Detroit game ball slipped out of his hands thing happened he also had a shot that would have won the game and again he missed so we have two whoopsie lost the balls and two go be the hero and win this game and Zach Levine misses the shot when everybody wants him to to, to hit that shot and thinks he can make that shot I mean, does any of that concern you? Is Zach Levine clearly being the go-to guy, the we-need-to-go-get-a-bucket-to-win-this-game guy, and in the chances he's had to be that guy so far, he's fallen short? I would say it concerns me a little bit. I think maybe more so the shot selection than anything else. Like It seems like he, especially at the end of the game, he's passing up drives to the basket, with the exception of the one against the Hornets where he did a great job. Shout-out to Parker, too, for the screen. But that was the only case that I saw him late in games where the Bulls were in games that instead of pulling up for a three, he drove to the basket. That's more concerning to me than anything else. Like He's been getting to the basket at a high rate and been getting to the free throw line, so why not continue that throughout throughout the late stages of the game? Unless you are down three or more, then fine, you have to chuck up those threes. But in last night's situation, you didn't need to, to chuck up threes in the last two minutes of the game in order to, to feel like you had to stay in it. I think that's more concerning to me than anything, and I think he'll be able to learn from that. But outside of who's taking the final shot, like who else do you want to take at this point? I'd rather the ball be in Zach Levine's hands, and maybe that's just going to come with some a little bit more experience and you know getting into the flow of games. And I'm not trying to make any excuses for him because it is a concern, but I think more so than him fumbling around with the ball at the end of games, I'm more concerned with his shot selection at the end of games, which seems like he's 
he's going more so more towards the three pointer than trying to drive to the basket, which he's been more successful than anything else so far this season. Yeah, and you know, to be fair, the big concern that we saw from Levine last season and early, in the early stages this season uh, was shot selection. Um, the, to his credit, he has been very efficient, and I think he's certainly improved in that area. And we also saw him improve as a facilitator last night, you know, as opposed to nine turnovers and only a few assists from his game just a few days ago. He finished with seven assists and only two turnovers. So you like that reversal. And clearly, Levine is taking it upon himself to know that until Dunn gets back, he's the primary ball handler and he's got to do more facilitating than he's used to. But. If you pair that with an improved shot selection, I think the sky's the limit for Zach offensively. It's just limiting those poor shot selection choices. And um, we've seen some of those happen in clutch moments in the game so far, which has been a little bit discouraging. It's part of growing. It's part of, part of growing as a player and becoming that star. So you have to kind of yep. battle through these things. And I think he's going to learn from it, man. You know, everything that the Bulls have thrown at him since he's been a Chicago Bull for over a year now. I think he's achieved and, you know, re- recovering from the injury, learning how, how to be a high usage player and getting back to the place that you were in, in Minnesota. He's done all of those things. So I think I'm pretty confident to say that he's going to learn from some of these mistakes he's making. Mark and Portis, Valentine and Dunn come back. So that's going to be the more concerning thing than I think anything else. I want to get to the Justin Holiday play, though, because we haven't talked about that yet. Now, Millsap just shoved Justin Holiday out of the way. I mean, it was almost like a football block. Now, watch. He's just going to throw him out of the way. Get out of the way. I'm going to take this. And Man, I thought that was a foul regardless, but putting the, prefacing it with that, you got to box out there, man. You box out there, you're landing straight on your face. Paul Millsap's coming in to try to get that rebound. Justin Holiday's falling flat on his face and you're getting a foul call there. You box out, you ensure yourself of a foul call there. 100%. And at the very least, you ensure yourself that Paul Millsap isn't going to be able to put that ball back in the basket with the final seconds ringing down. So regardless, though, I thought it was a foul on Justin Holiday and that was a clear miss by the refs. Yeah, and look, I mean, if you're asking Holiday to box out Paul Millsap, you're wishful wishful thinking <laughs> Justin well, box out Justin Holiday is essentially is, is essentially kindling in human form that guy is nothing but sticks <laughs> you he can't box out it's you true. can't box out Paul Millsap are you kidding me heck that's basically the only reason that Jabari got a start last night is because Hoiberg said in exact words yeah well you know when it comes to that starting lineup and Millsap and that size you know it, that's going to be tough for us so maybe you know I, I figured putting a little bit more size in there would, would help us out so that's the reason Jabari started is because of Millsap you can't you can't ask Holiday to box out Millsap it, it sucks that that's what the final play came down to uh, but you know that has been a recurring problem for these Bulls all season long so far they are awful at protecting the paint when they're trying to get a stop and get a rebound all season and honestly to me the play that the the Nuggets drew up there was intentional and it was, all right, Wendell has been doing a pretty good job guarding Jokic all night. Let's pull Jokic out on a quick little screen and get him in the rel- you know somewhere to take like a 14, 15 footer. Wendell's going to follow him out just outside the paint. 
have Nicola shoot that shot with at least two seconds left on the clock because they had like five or six seconds to work with so that you pull Wendell out from being able to be there for a rebound and go try to contest the shot from Jokic. Jokic got off a clean look. I thought he was going to sink that for the win, but the Nuggets probably had in the back of their mind, as long as Nicola gets his shot off with a little extra time to spare, we pull Wendell out outside the paint to contest the shot and if if Jokic misses we've got a good chance at a putback and that's why Millsap came crashing in I think that that was designed and it was intelligently designed because this Nuggets team and their coaching staff are aware of the fact that this Bulls team can't get a defensive rebound to save their goddamn fucking lives that's fine plays drawn up still the same result as what I'm talking about I'm not agree with me in the fact that if he would have gave any type of effort to try and just box out that he would land flat first on his face or he'd have been tossed to the side or he would have even gotten an over the back from Millsap regardless I feel like there would have been a foul call 100% for sure had Justin Colliday given any effort at all to box out by the rim I I don't think Justin Holiday saw anyone that needed boxing out Millsap came flying in from way far away on that putback Holiday didn't see him. I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm just saying it wasn't probably going through Holiday's mind that, okay, I need to put myself in a position to box out here to draw an over-the-back foul or a loose ball foul on somebody charging in for this uh, rebound. Because guess what? Holiday, not a rebounder. But don't you need to, to think about that? You're, you're, up by, you're up by one point. You box out, eliminate anybody from getting to the rim. Isn't, isn't that supposed to be just almost second nature to any NBA player. If you're anywhere near the rim and a shot goes up, you just try to box anything you can out, especially down one. That that blows my mind. Your expectations for the defensive mindset of Justin (laughs) Holiday and the boxing out mindset of one Justin Holiday is hilarious to me. It should be for any NBA player, though. In general, like, to me, boxing out around the rim, especially when you're only down one point, should be a no-brainer. No, you're you're not wrong. It is basketball 101. Box out. Do not let the other team get an offensive rebound. But guess what? Not surprised that that happened to Justin Holiday and the Bulls last night. So yeah, that that's the ending to that game. A couple other things just want to clean up before we get out of here. Chandler Hutchinson, man. Thought he looked pretty decent last night coming off the bench. 8 points, 7 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 block, only 1 turnover. He was three three for six from the field, one for three from the three-point line, and a plus four in the plus-minus. You know, he, he was asked to play 30 minutes last night because you had mentioned, you know, Parker got the start because of Millsap. Millsap had a, had a night, not only knocking down the final basket, but 19 points on 8 of 13 shooting. He was six rebounds, one assist, and three blocks for a plus-seven. I thought Hutchison did a good job when he got into the game. He looked a little bit more aggressive, and I know it's going to take some time as far as his shot to kind of reconstruct his shot. You had mentioned it before. I've heard Mark Shinowski say it now a couple times that Fred Hoiberg is working on that. But I thought the minutes that he got in there last night were at least productive, and it gave you another guy that was a little bit more athletic, can get bodies around the rim to grab rebounds and frankly that's what you need right now so what do you think about Hutchison's game last yeah, night again the best part of his game that we've seen is his rebounding ability he came down with some big rebounds uh when the team needed him and uh clearly the shot is still a work in progress it's not pretty right now but at least Hutchison is aware of that and uh is looking to get his teammates involved 
and be a presence on the defensive end and be a presence on the glass more so than you know taking shots he shouldn't be taking so at least the guy's playing within himself right now as opposed to a rookie who is going out there and trying to do too much improve himself you know every time down the floor nah that you know I, I think Chan- Chandler Hutchison is smart enough to know what should be asked of him right now and let's all just cross our fingers and hope that that shot gets fixed so that he can actually turn himself into maybe a legit three and D wing on this roster but in the meantime love seeing the work from from him on the boards Bulls out rebounded again last night to the Nuggets 56 to 43 the Bulls having their best three-point shooting efforts of the season so far. 47.1%, 16 for 34 from the field. 42.4% overall from the field. And the Nuggets had an awful night from three. A, a absolute awful night from a team that I thought was a pretty good three-point shooting team. They went seven for 26, 26.9% from three. And they were 45.5% overall. They had, I think, I think the Bulls struggled to get points in the paint. That's why you saw the Bulls hang around in this game and the Nuggets were just dominating the paint. If they couldn't shoot from three, they were just dominating. You know, I had mentioned Millsap's good nights and Gary Harris getting to the rim and weird, weird opportunities for one of the Plumley brothers to get in there for six for seven from the field with 13 points. So yeah, it's going to be an uphill bat until we get our big men back and we can maybe fight on the boards a little bit better. But I think that's why Hutchison's in there is to go in there and grab boards and be a lengthy wing that the Bulls are desperately, desperately missing right yeah. now. You, you mentioned the uh, 56 to 43 edge the Nuggets had on the boards. 17 of those 56 were offensive rebounds. 17. That is unacceptable. That's bad, man. That's just not boxing out. That's careless. I don't know. That's not good. That's got to get cleaned up. If you want to stay in games, that's got to get cleaned up. Last thing I got for you, Matt, real quick. Antonio Blakeney. Um, and he's a chucker. Like, look, I, I get he he's taking a play out of the Nate Robinson playbook of anytime I grab the ball, I'm probably going to shoot it. But the dude is knocking down shots left and right when he comes in. He's an offensive machine off the bench. Last night, he was 5-for-9, 4-for-4 from 3, and 15 points, 3 rebounds. And that's what he came into the game at times when the Bulls desperately needed a couple of buckets. And how about at the end of the third quarter? Okay. Three seconds left. Yeah, his his coast-to-coast. Baseline to baseline? That that coast-to-coast was filthy. That got me out of my seat. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Archie or uh, Blake and he had a decent night four or four from downtown the dude has never taken a shot that isn't contested or isn't him falling over while <laughs> taking it and he's still somehow like near the tops of the league in true shooting percentage right now which I don't understand I do not get it because it doesn't add up with the eye test of every time Blake and he takes a shot I'm like oh god that's a terrible shot um guess what he's still in my opinion a net negative because he can't play a lick of defense like Yes, he's a microwave scorer off the bench, which is nice to have. And he made some big shots last night. And that coast-to-coast at the end of the third quarter was one of the most impressive things I've seen so far this season. Credit where it's due. But the guy cannot play defense. It's a, not, a, not a lick of it. It's a work in progress, you know. Wh- whatever. <laughs> whatever. Nay, that's a common theme of this entire team, though. Until this team can play some defense and there's more than just two guys... 
I don't think anybody has any room to talk as far as defense goes. But, you know, it, it's a slow, steady progression. To You know, we're not asking him to be some all-NBA type of player. He came from the G League, put up records in the G League last year. The steps he is taking as a player, I think, is really cool to see. In, just from an NBA fan standpoint, you know, we've seen a couple of these stories start to work out now. You know, Alfonso McKinney, one of those stories that we talked about going up against the Golden State Warriors last night. Chicago kid played with the Windy City Bulls last year, got an opportunity with the Warriors, and ended up showing out and playing a pretty decent season so far. Antonio Blakeney, same thing, set records in the G League, came in undrafted, played with the Bulls Summer League, looked great, played on that two-way contract, made himself good enough to finally get a guaranteed contract. If you're an NBA fan at all and you like good stories, I think those two following up what the Bull, what the NBA is trying to do with their two-way contracts is living out, and it's really cool stories to see. And look, Antonio Blakeney has only had three games out of the eight so far where he scored under double digits. He had tw- he's coming off a 21-point game and then last night's 15-point efforts. You know, that can't go stand alone. He's been an offensive machine off the bench. I'm curious to see how he works with Denzel Valentine once he comes back and once maybe Parker is coming off the bench full-time again and maybe you mix it up with Portis too. I'm curious how he develops his game once some of these guys start to get yeah, healthy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a weird... Uh, rotation Rolodex when Dunn comes back and when Valentine comes back. Um, and, you know, I think last night you saw that Blakeney certainly gives Fred Hoiberg something off the bench and Archie Diacono gives him something different. Uh, the, each each player has their strengths and weaknesses and they're very different from one another. Um, and I, I think to me right now, you know, it's crazy because as we were, you know, talking about Archie Diacono and, and Fred's rotation this summer, I was like, ah, I just don't see much there. But, you know, each game that Archie plays, and this was not as opposed to some of his better performances in, say, garbage time earlier this season, Archie was playing big minutes in a close game against a good team last night. And I was sitting there screaming at the TV saying, Fred, why the hell did you take Archie out? So, and to me, it was... Not in, in you know, why why is Blakeney in there instead of Archie? It was why is Cam in there instead of Archie? So to me, if anything, last night, Blakeney had another good game where he made the shots you expect him to make. Archie Diacono was another well-rounded performance kind of guy. And Cam looked like the, the worst of the bunch. So we'll see where Fred goes from here because Cam getting these starts in Dunn's absence is baffling to me. I think it's good to mention too, Ryan Archie Diacono, part of those two-way stories that we were talking about. He was another one of the Bulls' two-way players last year. Everybody kind of wrote him off, mm-hmm. and he's played big minutes already for this Bulls team in eight games. So it's cool. Uh, that's why I'm excited about Raleigh Alkins and Tyler Ewis on the two-way contracts this season is to see how the Bulls are able to develop those guys now because you've seen it in in some capacity as a success. And you think about Blakeney, man. He just turned 22. He just turned 22 a few weeks ago. So that's exciting as far as from a de- developmental standpoint. And if you can find these diamonds in the rough that can be contributors to your team, and you're going to need it, especially if we start talking about a round trade deadline. If the Bulls are looking to sell off some pieces, you're going to need him to step up even more. But I've been impressed by both, like you said, both two-way guys that have turned themselves into real contracts this year. Impressed by both. 
Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Once again, 331-979-1369. Hit us up with your text messages, your voicemails, any reaction to last night's game, some of the things, the topics that we've been talking about. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a voicemail or a text message. 331-979-1369. We're live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern at 9 a.m. Central Time. That's Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm Jordan Malley for Matt Peck, for both of us here at Locked on Bulls. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.